0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band, and yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way here and now, episode number 199, as we get into the first half for the New York Metropolitans and discuss where would this disappointment fit? in the old-time franchise annals of time for the Mets, and we'll debate that and go through a list of the top 10 with you as the we, myself, and thank you, Unfiltered Band, as I welcome back Brian Wright, Mets historian, kind enough uh, to join me here on Unfiltered 199, where, of course, you can always get us, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on uh, Twitter, YouTube, etc., and on down the line. Brian, how are things by you, sir? Welcome back. Thanks, Casey
0: doing great and uh, glad we we're I guess I guess we could say glad to to be with you and to do this list. Um, we were talking uh, like a week ago and going like, oh, are the Mets gonna like make this list irrelevant and and they you know they both let us down and never let us down at the same time.
1: Oh yeah, I, I mean, I, I as I said to so I, I had you know uh, breaking down the fourth wall. I, had, I had said to Brian, I said, you know the, the best and worst would be we never get to do this list that we put together because the Mets just start winning and they won five in a row. And I'm thinking, geez, if they sweep the Padres and they win seven in a row, kind of put the Padres out the pasture. You have a story of two different franchises where the Padres are kind of cemented as a disaster this season. And maybe the Mets go into the break with some optimism outside of just, you know, Pete Alonso and the failed opportunities at the home run derby. And nevertheless, there go the Mets lose two in a row. They're 42 and 48. They're seven out of the wild card. More importantly, they've got Cubs Padres now, Brewers and Phillies ahead of them before they even get to Giants, Diamondbacks and Marlins in that mix. The division, forget about it. They're 18 and a half out. And as I've pointed out many times, including to Andy Martino about a week ago, we should be talking more about how close they are to the Washington Nationals and the fact that it is ridiculous. They've actually spread that gap. There are now only six games in front of the Nationals. If I would have told you that, at the beginning of the season, that would have been disappointing enough. Uh, We don't disappoint. We'll get to this list and all the breakdown because we're good friends at Ben online. Number one source for your sports betting needs latest odds, lines and matchup reports, baseball, boxing, golf, and more Ben Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, live betting and favorite casino and wildcard games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE. It's B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And let's get started before we get into kind of the top 10 disappointments in the franchise to date and where this would fit. And let's talk about how disappointing this first half has been. I guess I'll start. What has surprised you most? about how bad they've been? Like, is there something that stands out that you're like, I never thought this would... Clearly, we never thought they'd be here in general, but it, what stands out to you about this disastrous first half for the Mets?
0: Well, I think it's not necessarily that some of their starting pitchers are looking old because they are old, specifically Scherzer and Verlander, but I think it's just like how much older they look and, you know, how inconsistent they are and to me, that's, I would have to say that's, even though lately it's been a little bit better, but the biggest disappointment to me has been the pitching and specifically the lack of length from the starting pitching, which then allowed the bullpen, which wasn't great to begin with, especially when Edu Diaz was gone, to be really exposed. Um, and save for David Robertson, it's its you know pretty bad. So that to me, the most surprising thing is that the fact that the starting pitching is as, been generally speaking as bad as it's been um and i think you know max scherzer especially has been has been the most disappointing of all um he just doesn't look like he is adapting to his his older age uh, and the fact that he is not the same pitcher as he was when he was you know a washington national and guys like jeff mcneil and, and starley Marte are just not performing at the same level as last year not even close so um but, but mainly i would go to starting pitching and McNeil and, and Marte being the biggest disappointments of of of,
1: of the ball. Yeah, I think you hit on the two things. I mean it to me Number one is the fact that the Edwin Diaz, I knew that that injury was going to hurt them. Could that be the reason they don't win a World Series or win a division and get a wild card? Sure. Would it be a reason that they're 42 and 48? No, the fact that it's crippled them has been mind boggling. I mean, this is a team who has the worst record of of any team in baseball when they score at least six runs. I mean, and that is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's been hard to come by to your point in the offense, which I think is the other part. And that is the fact that, look, McNeil and Marte, I, I was not surprised to see Daniel Bogleback not be great. I was not surprised to see, you know, some ups and downs at times for Alvarez or to see that the depth of the offense was not going to be as good as it needed to be. That's why they had gone after Correa, and we know what hasn't worked with him, but what we thought he could do, that was why that was such a big coup for this team. You know, and for all the talk about Lindor and what he has or hasn't done in terms of getting on base or getting base hits, you know, he and Alonso have driven in the runs you need. Alonzo, you know, barring the, the setback with the injury and time he's out, has done pretty much what you expect and they've gotten even some help from guys like Tommy Pham and from other surprises but when you score six runs and you're like six games under 500 in those games because you've got games where you know we could all point out Buck with the 6 to 3 lead in the 8th inning against Philadelphia right where he doesn't use outavino and he doesn't use Robertson but overarching it's been this organization has been exposed the lack of pitching in this system has been exposed the lack of you know, that next bus you pull from to get onto your bus from AAA has been exposed. And that, to me, has been the biggest thing. I mean, I, I this, is, this is where I go with this team more than anything else. And we'll talk about clearly where it fits in disappointments. But what's disappointing is not just that this year is disappointing, but where this franchise is, is disappointing. Age at the front of the rotation, no depth in the system. Definitely not in a deep enough lineup, a need for a prospect rehaul. They're not in a rebuild, but they're way further away than any of us thought that they were going back four months ago before the season began.
0: And maybe last year, I don't want to say last year was an aberration, but last year maybe gave us a little, maybe let us along, led us to believe that they were further along in terms of this um, new regime change uh, than we were led to believe um you know just because you know that all 101 victories braves notwithstanding um we were to think oh my goodness now we're all set when in fact the you know farm system that was pretty top heavy you know and and now is all pretty much in the major leagues uh was really just did not have any pitching and now we know it does not have any pitching because when the relievers that come up are who they are. And then we're going, Oh, well, this guy isn't any good. Well, who's next? And it's like, well, you look at it, it's like nobody. Um, and then you look at starting pitching, you go, well, who is, who's up and coming in the minors? Well, nobody, not really. I mean, Mike Bassel maybe, but yeah, it, you know, yeah, it, yeah it's,
1: exactly. You know, it's, it, the depth is, and then that's the crazy part is like, you know, that's much, even way before Billy, we're talking about this, this takes years to get in that bad of a situation. The Rays don't just show up and have a ton of guys in their system. That takes development. It takes trade. It takes draft. It takes building process. The Mets haven't done any of that. And I think, you know, Steve, you could you can't buy me love. You, you can't also buy depth in a, in a franchise. You know, you could buy stars, right? And you can add an Otani to a team, but there's still going to need to be more than that. Look, the Angels have had you know Mike Trout forever, and you know until Otani came, he'd been the best player in baseball. They're the best two players in baseball, and, and Trout's got 11 career postseason at-bats. So you, you need more. This isn't LeBron could take Booby Gibson and and Ilgowskis or the time he took you know, J.R. Smith and Amon Shumpert and dragged them all the way there. It doesn't work that way in this sport. Clearly, the Mets have shown that. I'm curious for the people who are watching and listening, let us know where do you think this season would fit in your lifetime, for you and the all-time disappointments for the Mets in terms of a season standpoint, we overarched it beyond disappointments for seasons. You put together a top 10. I think a lot of these are, all these are right because they're all huge disappointments. I want to get into, and we'll debate a couple of them and kind of where they fit. But I want to start at number 10 because you basically did this just to troll me by putting Kaz Matsui here at number 10 to me he's he is from a standpoint of what he was supposed to be and then how bad he was because of how atrocious he was and then watching him do what he did in colorado in the run that they made in 2007 All of that entailed the defense, the lack of an arm, you know, forget what position he was playing. The fact that if it's not opening day, it was like he couldn't hit. He couldn't run or steal bases, even though he had speed. From an individual standpoint, he truly is certainly in our lifetime, at our age, is one of the biggest individual disappointments ever for the Mets franchise. And you have him at number 10.
0: Yeah, and I—it's one of one of the highlights is just seeing you foam at the mouth at uh yeah because you know I can't stand the guy I mean not personally I'm sure he's a nice person yeah and seeing him in uh in Colorado in the 2007 playoffs and you know whether or not he was supposed to be as good as he was hyped or whether he was you know he was just plain overhyped I happen to believe the latter but that then again you know seeing him not only be a disappointment but also. Uh, stumped the growth of jose reyes which was just another layer of this uh in the in, by moving to shortstop and forcing reyes to play at second really just underscored the disappointment and it made it even more frustrating the fact that Matsui was on this roster and not performing at the same time as you said he, he hit home runs in every first game he played in the three seasons he was with the mets and that was all you really remember you really you remember his opening game in atlanta home run to center field and you thought oh my goodness look what we have and and then and then you know it was just downhill from there so you know i i i was you know i believed the hype when he came up and you know it just it it, it didn't you know it didn't pan out obviously that's why he's here um but maybe it was over hype but that doesn't you know that doesn't uh you know discount the fact that he didn't perform even close to where he was supposed to
1: at number nine, we've got the 2015 World Series, and here's the thing, you know. Look, this is why I think this is at the right point in this list. It you could go into specific situations with the Familia scenario, up six runs. You could go into Harvey. You could go into the fact that the Mets had been on a run. What they did to the Cubs. And you could get lost in the fact that certainly and because it's a World Series and it was a huge disappointment because once there, all the aspirations are clear for Met fans to go win four games and get out of there with a World Championship. But when I look at the 500 team before really the All-Star break, when I look at Soup Campbell and John Mayberry Jr. on a Sunday night baseball against the Yankees in that season, hitting three, four in your lineup, when I look at that we didn't expect Cespedes, that nobody knew Daniel Murphy dot, dot, dot would do what Daniel Murphy did. And kind of the way that it all happened, this is more of a surprising season than it was a disappointment. And because of those expectations that were lacking until you got there, because there were a lot of fans who never thought they'd beat the Dodgers or beat the Cubs to even get to the World Series. For me, I i mean, I'm trying to go back. I remember, was it DeGrom, Granky in Game 5? I think Dodgers, right, on the road. I mean, clearly that's not easy to do. Murphy, it's the home run, right? Then you get the whole situation with the Cubs where they go and sweep them. I, I, I think, to me, I look back at that season, and I know most Met fans don't, but I look back at it as more of a gift than I do of despair. So for me, yeah, disappointing for sure in the World Series, but I think you have this right lower on the list. I think people will complain. and think it should be higher, recency bias. But I think you got it in the right spot because that was a gift season that became a disappointing week or two in terms of the 2015 World Series.
0: Yeah, on July 24th, I don't think anyone in the right mind would have seen the Mets in game five of the world series. And they said, you know, three months from now, you'll see the Mets in the world series against the Kansas city Royals. You would have, that would have been nuts. And the, you know, the, that, that three month period is for me as a Mets fan, the most fun three months um, ever. And that probably makes the world series. And the fact that it, I don't you know, I don't want to say the Mets gave it away. Because, you know, a break here, a break there, they would have, you know, they might have won. Um, it w- but it was a five-game series. So it's like, it's hard to say that. It's hard to it, was, it wasn't like a seven-game series. And it was decided, you know, in the seventh inning of game seven or something like that. But then again, when you're leading for a majority of the innings, I don't know exactly what the, you know, the, the disparity was. Uh, and the way those games were lost, you know, game one, you know, familiar quick pitching in the ninth inning, uh, the Gordon home run. Uh, went 14 innings, and the later that game goes on, the the more I'm going, Man, if they lose, this is gonna suck. (laughs) Because you know, you're oh, for sure, for sure, you're going like, Oh my god, it's one in the morning, and if they lose this game, it's just gonna be a just, just, just you know, stab in the heart. Uh, game four with Murph Tover really coming to a crashing halt with that error, um, you know, his defense surfacing at the wrong time, and then game five, Matt Harvey staying in one batter too long. And lucas duda's throw was closer to the visiting dugout than it was to the plate um you know i it when you think of all the ways those games were lost you can't help but think how could this have been different but at the same time as you pointed out that was a joy ride i mean that was i look more i do look more on that fondly than i do uh we let one get away but at the yep. same time you know when you lead for so much you do have to say kind of let at least one of those games get away
1: Yeah, look, I'm with you. I I think this is one of those scenarios where it's a lot of it. It it is a recent failure. I mean, it looked fairly recent, and you're looking at a situation where, in that moment, you start to get carried away. But most Met fans hated that team for 90% of the year, thought it was terrible, and then couldn't stand anybody except Cespedes. Cespedes, excuse me, for a while, who kind of carried them. And then, we, you know, thank you, Matt Williams, for putting Drew Storen on the mound like a million times. during a lot of those games against the Nationals. Clearly, I think it fit at, at nine. So you got uh, Kazmatoui at 10. You get the 2015 World Series disappointment at nine. Again, where do you think this season would rank and fit into all of this? You got 2002 and that season at number eight. Um, the numbers for Robbie Alomar in 2002. In 655 plate appearances, 11 homers drove in 53, 266 batting average, a 330 on base. He stole 16 in 20 attempts. You had the big Mo Vaughn uh, situation, which we, he was going to be a brilliant and save the world as well. 558 plate appearances, did it, 26 home runs. And, and look, to be honest with you, I mean, really probably did enough if the rest of the team had done uh, a little bit more. But the team in general did not do a little bit more. We can think about, you know, the situations with, uh, you know, among other scenarios, uh, you know, Roger Cedeno and Jeremy Burnitz and go on down the line and how many people that we look at that were disasters here. Why did you have this on this list at number eight? And why is it the right fit? The 2002 season? You know, I.
0: I think because of those, the players that you mentioned, Roberto Alomar, Mo Jeremy Jaron Roger Cedeno, these kind of additions that were after 2000, I mean, 2001, they finished strong, but missed the playoffs. Um, you thought that would be enough with Mike Piazza, Al Leiter to, you know, an older team to, to, to get back to the playoffs after making it two years of row in 99, 2000. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wonder if we're going to look back, you know, 20 years from this season and I'll cite another season that we might have coming up in terms of disappointments. And I look back and we might look back and say, you know, like, why did we think that this team was going to be so good? Um, and, And we could have our, you know, certainly have our reasons in the moment. We're just going like, why is this team not any good? And why did now we're saying, like, why did we think it was going to be so good? And i look back at 2002 and, and and certainly it's on this list but i look back and going we, we got a lot of older players uh who you know were either breaking down or had broken down and we must have had these high we certainly had these high expectations and i remember going to spring training in late march in 2002 and Roberta alomar looked really slow at second base made at least one error you know, Edgardo Alfonso made an error. I forgot if he was playing third or wherever. Um, Movan looked especially slow. Jeremy Burnett looked terrible at the plate. I normally don't, don't make predictions based on spring training. I don't think anyone should. But that felt like an omen. I was. It was like one of the last spring training games. I'm like, this team doesn't look good. And I'm like, I. And it's, they it's just... They
1: shouldn't have had... Expect- Brian, they shouldn't have had... That team shouldn't have had expectations, first of all... It- at all when you look at it going back in it i mean you know i don't know what people expected because you look at from you know the the Pitching staff standpoint, and you know your rotation is is Al Leiter, Pedro Astacio, Steve Traxel, Jeff D'Amico, and Sean Estes. I mean, I don't know where they, you know, necessarily they were going to drag you to a, a championship of any kind. I don't think that that was going to be the case. Yeah, Al Leiter had a very good year, uh, but mm-hmm. Astacio with an ERA of five. I mean, you know, I can't even hear Sean Estes without thinking about him trying to hit Roger Clemens and missing, and Bobby Valentine losing his mind. Um, but this season. Way more disappointing that we're currently in than 2002 is an example of how high this will be on this list. If this continues the way it is in 2023, highly more disappointing when you look at bringing in Senga and you think about Scherzer and you think about Verlander. So just as an example of like how rare it is in rarefied air for Met fans and Met teams to have the kind of roster they brought into this season. It gives you an idea to your point. When you go circle back 21 years ago, now you're looking at how the hell did we even think this team was going to be any good? We're going to get into Generation K clearly, because if that's not on the list, we shouldn't even do one. So we're going to, we, people know that's coming, right? But you think about it, So you think about 92, 93, the best team money could buy and all those other things. The idea of this season to me that is paramount is we got Hall of Famers in, in the rotation. I don't care what age they are. We got as big a pickup on the pitching side than anybody could get. By the way, he made an all-star team just now in Senga, right? So we had all of these things coming in. And if you want to begin the disappointment before the Edwin Diaz injury, we had by far the best reliever in the sport. Because I think the disappointment for this season begins at the end of the World Baseball Classic with that injury. I mean, that was really that seminal first moment of this. But it tells you going back 21 years just how crazy we were and just how low our expectations were from watching this team over decades that we thought 2002 was going to be some banner year because it never was going to be. Looking back at it, I mean, in retrospect, there's no way we should have had any expectations for that to be better than it was. It may be better than nine games under 500 at the end of the year. okay, but there was no way that team was winning a World Series with that roster. No way.
0: No, and I think and I agree with you, I think. You know, if 2023, this year ends up being, you know, if they miss the playoffs. Let's just put it that way. Yes, this is going really high. It'll
1: be number. four. It would be number four. I, I will tell you this, and and I will go. I'm going to go back to the list, but I will. I will advance to this and say that for me, because I looked at it this way. If this season ends this way, I will have it at number four. So yeah. it won't be number one. That's the bad news for Met fans, because you've lived through what I think are three worse things than this already. Yeah. Um, so at least, or the good news that you've already been through it three times, and you're going to be fine. Uh, number ten, Kaz Matsui. Number nine, 2015 World Series. The 2002 season. Number eight, number uh, seven is Jason Bay. And I think from an individual standpoint, when you think about bringing in free free agents and you know what they're going to do, and you think about what he had done not only in Pittsburgh but what he had done at Fenway, and you know you think about you know a, a guy who had you know put together. That resume, where you thought he was just about to jump off, if you will, and have everything be just amazing, um, a guy who, you know, just to give an idea, and look, not everything about you know ribbies, but you want to talk about a run producer, a guy who drove in 119 runs in 2009 with the Boston Red Sox, the year before the Mets brought him in. The Mets mm-hmm. brought him in. He then drove in 47. And 57 in the next two seasons, which just to give you an idea, if you're bad at math, you've got 104 runs driven in between the two first seasons of his free agent signing with the Mets, which is far less than he drove in in the year before they signed him. If this ever wasn't, I get the big ticket and then I can't live up to it. I don't know what is. Jason Bay sitting on our list, unfortunately so, yet rightfully so. This one I like right where it is at number seven.
0: Yeah, and you talk about, you know, the fact that he only drove in barely over 100 runs in those first two seasons. You talk about home runs, you know, now we're talking about a completely different um in terms of completely different scenario in terms of some dimensions. We're going from Fenway Park to the Great Wall of Flushing, um, but still 36 home runs at Fenway. You think like that should translate to something something you
1: know, better than six six you, had, me, he had, six you, had, runs you had you had me at something I mean what a disaster you had me at something yeah. honestly he had
0: 26 home runs with the Mets in, in two plus seasons he didn't make it through all the way to 2012. But anyway um and I you know what I what I remember is there was the I don't want to say debate, but maybe there was the decision of whether to sign go after Jason Bay or Matt Holiday and it may, you know, classic ponds, it, it, you know, it was money that was pretty much the driving factor. Um, and the better deal was Jason Bay. But the better player was Matt Holiday. Not that you know, Matt Holiday is, you know, is 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 significantly better. Um, but you know, he he might have he might have just been you know he uh, would have been Jason Bay. And you know, I for me as a Mets fan, that was he was he had my ire. Um, especially probably a very nice guy just could not, you know, handle New York to, to, to use a, a to use a very cliche term, but um, it just was clear. It was just not, uh, it was just not the the place for him to be. And his career basically fizzled out after that. He he played 68 games after playing with the Mets.
1: I, I would still have this season ahead of Jason Bay individually in terms of disappointments. Uh, so I'm looking forward to continuing to do this list just to give people an idea that there is still to to be of kind of where this would would slot in. I'd still put this season ahead and more disappointing of seven where Jason Bay is and also at six, which is saying a lot for me because number six is probably when you ask about disappointing, like where to me the biggest example of like a Met thing, right? Like that's so bets is to think something is one way and have it be totally the opposite. And that could be in a season like we're dealing with now, being a player like a Bay or a Matsui. They're probably in my lifetime, no better example than number six, Generation K. I always go back to the same thing in my head. And it's the weird, like we have like certain moments as fans that we remember. I was on Jones Beach with a boombox with an antenna that like you have to move around to try and hear the game on the radio on WFAM. And I remember being there with at with family at the time. And I remember specifically it was Jason Isringhausen was making a start. And he had he had already, I think that year maybe it was seven and two, nine and two, or something like that, but he, he had already made a few starts. And so we were already like midway through like us drooling over what he pulsed and Wilson were gonna do. And I remember, I remember specifically pumping my fists. Like, like being like embarrassing that like people listen to music and here I am in the middle of some season listening to Jason, like he was going to come and save the world. Now, I got to say this because the last time we mentioned this in this podcast, I said the same thing and it's important. Guy had 300 saves, ended up being one of the better closers ever. Terrific dude. Great and beloved by like every clubhouse he ever been in. Had a great Cardinals, A's, did great with us So, so he of the three. Right. Didn't end up with the elbow surgeries, Reds and gone. Paul Wilson didn't end up Long Island Ducks career better than a Mets career. Bill Pulsifer. So of the three, he put together a nice career. But I go back, Brian, to that. And I remember my excitement. And and the best parallel I have, which is just how dumb it, it was, just to give you an idea. The feelings I remember that are similar to that were which this one panned out as a Knicks fan. I remember being in a pool and hearing on a WFAN update that the, that the Knicks in the same day had gotten Allen Houston, Larry Johnson and Chris Childs. Now, those guys ended up taking that team to a finals. So that ended up working and that day ended up going where I thought it would go. I thought this was exactly like that. And where the hell did this go? Generation K, rightfully on your list.
0: I I will share a couple memories uh, similar to yours. I had you know a lot of of, of of kids of my generation had you know teen idols uh, uh, posters on their walls. I had gener- I had a Generation K poster. I know you posted this on the last one of the the podcast one of the promotions uh, that social media posts or Twitter posts. Um, the poster that I had. So that was um, definitely brought back a lot of memories. I don't, I no longer have that poster, but um, I had a generation K poster in my bedroom and I went, you know, you talked about being in Jones beach for Jason, Isner, Jason Isnerhausen start. I was at Jason Isnerhausen's first victory in 1995 against the pirates. And I might, my dad, I might have it the scorecard that I could that I, I score. And my dad was like, Oh my God! You just saw Jason Essing has his first game or first victory. Like I had seen Mount Rushmore. Like it was just like you are here for this. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, and now looking back, I'm like, what? Did, what was this for? What was this all about? And dear, God, he made the most of his career, and with you know, turning himself into a a very good reliever. And I I think about this. I think about how things would have been different. Maybe they wouldn't have been too much different. If we had the kind of, some people might say coddled, um, some people might say just protecting pitchers, the way we protect pitchers' arms and how many innings they use, if we had done that the way we do it today, the way it was instead of the way it was done before, uh, and guys like, you know, specifically Paul Wilson and Bill Pulsifer had just not been... Just overused, um, either in the minors and early in the majors. So um, that's that's how what I think about. It. Like, what how would this have been different? But maybe it wouldn't have been that much different.
1: You know, when you look at a list like this, there are certain seasons and and certain things that stand out, and you you have to have. You know, disappointments in an area of a team and a lot of it relies on, you know, pitching and certainly now with this team and you think about what's not in the system, you think about the successes of at, you know, and certainly in large spots to Grom and then Degrom and and Harvey and that group together and and what they did when we go back to kind of 2015 right with Thor and you think about where that goes the wrong way in Generation K and you rely on a whole franchise and that thing just kind of just tumbles. I mean, it sends you in the wrong direction. That's what makes it number five, the 1992 season, so interesting Be on this list, and rightfully so again, I think. I've got a little problem with number four, which you know, which I'm looking forward to debating on. Um, But I'm I'm with you on this, too, and to me, here's the interesting part about that season. Everybody's going to go back to, you're talking about best team, money. everybody's going to go back to Eddie Murray, and they're going to think about Vince Coleman. And they're going to think about Bobby Bonilla and all of that. And, and granted, go there. I always think about the pitching. And what made this so disappointing is that unlike that other one in 2002, where we're like, how the hell did we think this was going to be great? I got Sid Fernandez, Dwight Gooden, David Cohn, Brett Saberhagen in my rotation How the hell am I not winning games? How could with that pitching, knowing how important it is in the sport then and now, and things have changed, but that is not. That Jeff Torborg leads a 72-90 and team that finishes in fifth in the National League Eastern Division. And by the way, even worse than that, I'm looking at the numbers now. You know, we know about Sabre Hagen only made 17 starts that season, but... And Anthony Young lost all the rest of them, uh, you know, seriously, because, I mean, his losing streak began two and 14. Um, The bullpen was whatever. But Sid Fernandez had a really, really good year. I mean, 270 RA and 214 innings. Dwight Gooden, not great for Dwight Gooden standards. And then we looked at win loss record 10 and 13, but 3 6 ERA, 206 innings. Um, you know, lower certainly on the strikeouts later in his career. David Cohn sat there, and made 27 starts with a 28 ERA, 196 innings pitched, 214 strikeouts pitched really well. Even when Saber was on the hill, those, those 17 starts, they had 3 5 ERA. How in the hell when I've got Eddie Murray and I've got Bobby Benia and I, you know, then you got the Hunleys and others, right? That are coming. You got enough Vince Coleman. How am I not supporting a staff that, by the way, you go back and look at the numbers, should have been good enough to get this team into a postseason? It makes it more frustrating and certainly deserving on the list at number five when you go back to that nineteen ninety-two disaster.
0: Yeah, and I think what the main culprit, there are two main culprits. I think they didn't have enough, you know, enough offense. I'm looking at, you know, power numbers there. The most home runs on the, on the team was by Vanilla with 19 home runs. And then Murray had 16 and then it was Daryl Boston with 11. So that lack of, you know, that lack of power was, is, is startling to me just looking at baseball reference. Um, But, and the other factor is just the, the, they, off the field, they were a disaster. I mean, Vince Coleman is. This was pre, you know, throwing firecrackers, um, and I don't know if this was the year where Brett Sabregan threw bleacher reporters or something like that. But it was one of those two years. But they were getting in. You know, they were fighting. I mean, Vince Coleman was fighting with with coaches, and and there were you know even more serious allegations off the field. Um, they, you know, I look at like 1962. The original team was a, a lovable team of you know, bad, a uh, bad players or uh, a bad team that was, but that was lovable. This, this, this team was not this team. You could write a book about where team money could buy. Um, you could read about all their, all their trails off the field and really fit into the mold of just, you know, it wasn't just LL Mets. It was, it was just, you know, this was, this was a, you know, you probably would have if, if today, if you were a fan, you would just been, it would have been loathsome. You would like, I don't, I don't like these guys. And that also that fed into the disappointment, really.
1: When you look at this list and you think about individuals and seasons, and again, just to kind of take you kind of where we are now and to again say for people who are trying to figure out where would you slot this season into it if it continues to roll the direction it is, I would still have this season as more of a disappointment than anything we've discussed so far, which is saying a lot. Kaz Matsui, 2015 World Series, 2002 season, Jason Bay, Generation K, the 92 season. And that would include number four, where I wanted to get into this. I specifically, when you put the list together, I was like, okay, I want to get, and, I'm, and I wanted to do it this way, you know, kind of live, if you will, quote unquote. Um, and you've got Matt Harvey at number four. Now, when I look at Matt Harvey and the Dark night scenario, right here, here's, and he's clearly a big disappointment, right? I mm-hmm. guess a couple things happen for me. Number one. I lumped him in for a while with DeGrom and Thor, and then I'm thinking, okay, is that more of a combined disappointment, that trio, off of where we thought they were at 2015, even though they lost the World Series, into what it would be, and we know what DeGrom did, but... DeGrom comparatively to what happened to the other two, Thor falling off the face of the earth, you know, the way that things ended where you know he's sitting there and and complaining like it's Wilson Ramos's fault and then he's gone off the reservation watching him in Philadelphia in the postseason, right the Matt Harvey scenario and how his career ended. Like kind of that trio, like you know, I guess juxtaposed juxtapose to that generation K idea. So that's one thing. The other part is it wasn't long enough for me to believe that it was going to be sticking for, for a long period of time. You know what I'm saying? And that and that's that's the part for me with Harvey that I, I go to you and I say, okay, he's on the list, but sell me on number four. It, because Generation K, for me, when I look at it, I think about changing a franchise. I, and I'm talking about it openly. I don't know if there's a right answer to this. When I look at Matt Harvey, it went so fast in my head from how is anyone going to hit a guy who's high 90s fastball with that slider at 92 and a bloody nose and Harvey's better in those chants to the guy who showed up late to the stadium because, you know, the Batmobile couldn't get there in time. That fall from grace was so fast. I don't think it's stuck long enough with my heartstrings for me to buy into it, maybe. And I don't know if that makes sense. And I'm saying that out loud.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think for me, the comparison with Generation K and, 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 you know, we've talked about Jason Esringhausen and that great, you know, very good first year he had, I feel like a lot of prospects are, you know, Paul Wilson drafted number one, you know, a lot of prospects are really hyped up and nothing really comes of of, of them. And guys like Paul Wilson, there are, there are other pitchers who are kind of like Paul Wilson um, and Pulsifer, where they just fizzle out before really making a significant impact. Um So I I certainly think they're disappointing, but I I, we've seen things like like that before. I guess the cluster of the three of them collectively uh makes it a little more um tough to swallow. But for Harvey for me, and I and I know we did a um a list earlier this year, I think it was mainly on bus. And you know, I'm gonna kind of I hope this doesn't sound contradictory, but like Harvey, I remember saying I didn't consider Matt Harvey a bust because of how spectacular he was in 2013 and coming as comeback pitcher of the year in 2015 um i i looked at that as 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 i would not classify as a bust because me i would classify busts as just never living up to anything um how i look at harvey i think again 2013 he had tommy john comes back 2015 he's stains the the innings innings limit in 2015 pitches you know deep into postseason games pitches in the postseason at all um and then you know pitches in deep into game uh five of the world Series and i think after that you kind of thought oh this is this is a this is a horse to for lack of a better term this is our guy and i think the downfall both self-inflicted as he you know rightfully admits and i think he's been you know, admirably open about it um, in in recent years. Um, you know, his self self inflicted downfall, and also the injuries that you know were out of his control. Um, I think was so precipitous um, that it just made it feel like, oh, what it was the what could have been. And I think that is the kind of the the arc, very stark. You know, rise and then fall to me, and I certainly could debate whether it's four or five or, or six in terms of this list, to me, puts it in a, in a special
1: uh, in a special category. We've got, at 10, Kaz Metsui, 9, 2015 World Series, uh, 2002 season at 8, Jason Bay at 7, Generation K at 6, 1992 season at 5, Matt Harvey at 4. For the people listening, actually, this is where I would slot this season if it stays this way, right here. I would slot it right in this spot. And I would tell you, no matter how bad the rest of the season goes, I don't think I would put it ahead of where you have the top three. Um, you know, because I, 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 here's the thing disappointing moments and disappointments for the franchise are, are different. It's hard to, like, for example, the most disappointing moment for me, and I've talked about this on this show before, as a Met fan in my life, was Kenny Rogers walking Andrew Jones. That's the most disappointing moment. But that season was not a disappointment. Even that run was not a disappointment when you think about what happened in the two weeks prior to get them there and when you really look at the roster that they had, right? And Braves were a better team. But that moment, would, because the Ventura thing happened two days before, because you're you're down 7 nothing with Smoltz, and here's Piazza with a three-run homer, and you're there, that moment... That, that drawing you back in and push and pull and all the emotions of that week and that season, that's probably the most disappointing moment I've experienced, but it's not a disappointing season. These three include moments that, because of the seasons that led up to them, became such disappointments. And to me, number three, you could make a case for number one, and that is the 2006 NLCS. That, that, look... The the Mets have had a lot of situations, like I'll go back in the list, where let's take it as an example. When you look at what they did in 2015, it was highly disappointing. But really, when we look at it, Going into the year, we didn't think they'd be good. Half the year through, we thought they were terrible. Then we thought they, we had one player. Then all of a sudden, we had one other player in Murphy, and it was Cespedes before that. And then the next thing you know, you know, here's Familia in a six-run lead. Alex Gordon, okay, bye. And there comes you know Lucas Duda, Hosmer, and you're gone. But that wasn't the situation in 2006. And I covered that team that year. 2006, you knew how good they were. You knew how deep they were. You knew how ready they were. You knew how stocked they were. This was the best team in the National League. It was the best team that was available in the playoffs. That's the worst World Series I ever covered between the Cardinals and the Tigers with the PFPs that went wrong for Jim Leland's team that won the Cardinals. That is the worst World Series I have ever, literally, have ever seen or covered that in, since I'm covering this sport, right? The Mets had come off a situation where in the Dodgers series prior, the season had just continued to go up. The visual I remember is the one where LaDuca is tagging out two runners, one of them being Jeff Kent, which made it all more purposeful and wonderful. I think it was a Sean Green throw from right field, if I remember. And everything was, this is destiny. I mean, we don't feel this as a Met fan. We don't live this. And they were a better team than the Cardinals. Then in the middle of that series, I think it was 12-5 with the Delgado big game that they won to set you up into this position. And here you are, and you're ready, you're willing, willing, and you're able. And in the middle of that, Andy makes that catch, and you're continuing that, oh, we are— This is just, this is the year. I mean, everything, these things don't happen to the Mets. It was like everything was the opposite. I don't want to say that was luck, but that takes a lot to make that happen off that Scott Rollin fly ball with the strength to be here. And that was to me, and I've said this to you in the past, that was, and then here's Chavez coming up with guys on base at the bottom of the inning. And I'm like, this is, we're just destined. Shoot this in my Mm -hmm. veins. 2006, you could do a whole show on that NLCS. Absolutely would be, to me, number three is fitting, and it would be still more disappointing than this season, no matter what happens the rest of this year.
0: And I and I made sure it was the entire NLCS for what you had just cited. It was, you know, game two up one nothing and Billy Wagner on the mound. And, uh, so to Gucci, know, is that the game that too?
1: Gucci. I mean, I oh mean, yep.
0: um. that was, I think they blew about I think they blew like three leads. It feels like a, a, you know, era, Scott Spezia a Homer or something like that. And yeah, it was just a, uh, where he had a big hit. Uh, it, they let that one get away. And then, and then game five um, Glavin, you know, that was the first game he could, you know, first big game he couldn't, he couldn't come through. And then, Game seven, of course, we all we all know what happens there. So um yeah, it, it's it's I look at this I look at the team and go, did we overrate that Mets team? But then again, relative to the rest of the league, that team was so much better. Um, and at least so much better than 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 the Cardinals. Cardinals won what 82 games, Mets won 97. Um, so it doesn't matter how good you thought they were relative to other teams in other years, they were much better than other teams that year, which is again, all that matters. And they get by that game. I mean, literally, as you talked about, all they had to do to beat the Tigers, it seems like was just hit the ball of the mound. Um, and they were going to figure it out. And, you know, when I watched that world series and I just saw the, you know, guys like, you know, rookie Justin Verlander or other pitchers, who couldn't throw the ball? Al Albuquerque,
1: I think, was one of them. I, I mean, yeah, it, just well, the like, whole thing. Oh made.
0: my gosh! How I don't know why I was painting in so much. Anthony pain. Reyes was
1: the, was the ace yeah. of that. He pitched Game One of that World Series, and most people listening don't even know who that is. David Eckstein was the MVP of that World Series. Yeah, and I know because I remember when I interviewed him. I told him in the interview it was the first time I ever looked eye to eye to somebody that I had interviewed in anything like that before. But that t- gives you an idea of where that team was. But you referenced the Glavin thing and where a season and a moment, now now this is, you know, and let me go through, you got Kaz at 10, 2015 World Series at 9, 2002 season at 8, Jason Bay at 7, Generation K at 6, 1992 season at 5, Matt Harvey at 4, 2006 NLCS at 3. If I were doing the list for me, and I'm not saying this would be right for the franchise, I think the way you have it for the franchise is correct. Because number one is tied into a way bigger thing that became the biggest disappointment probably. But for me in my lifetime, number two, the September collapse in 2007 would be number one. That, that I Because in number one, I, I was a fan, but I wasn't there every day covering it. And as a fan, it was a different thing. Look, it, when Tom Glavin, when they were down seven, nothing in that game, that was the quietest I've ever heard a press area at the time at, at Shea or at Citi Field or any other place I've covered. I never, outside of like a death or something crazy like that. I, I've never heard anything like that. The people, even the professionals covering the game, could not believe that it was happening. I remember the days that led up to it and all the things that happened. All the games against Philadelphia, CC Sabathia pitching every 14 minutes for Milwaukee, and it was three days, but it seemed like 14 minutes because they knew that they could wear his arm out. He's a free agent. All the all the things that led into all those playoff you know, disappointment, you know, that, that those opportunities going by the wayside. Oliver, we can go on forever, right? With, with all the things that went on. Uh, you know, I, I remember Jason Worth. He's still running behind Billy Wagner. Who doesn't know that he's stealing bases behind him? I mean, there's a whole hundred things that we could bring up that happened in that month. Where I think it was, what, seven games on September 12th, I believe is what it was, where they led, right? But Brian, I'm telling you, like in that stadium, people still didn't believe that was going to happen that day. People thought, OK, well, no, you know, Josh Willingham, who Homer and Miguel Olivo and those guys, they're not going to be the Mets are just going to figure it out. And it's going to be a, you know, we'll hang with them. We got in there. I don't think people realized the reality of it until that first inning was over. And until Glavin got off that mound in probably the most disappointing performance from any Met pitcher that I've ever seen. And Glavin's a terrific dude, but I mean, you know, he'd be wearing that forever. If he shows up in New York, I would, for in my lifetime, this is probably number one as the biggest disappointment. We've got it at two on the list. I think for the franchise, it makes sense, but you could argue it's one a that collapsed in 2007.
0: Yeah, I think in 2006, as disappointing as that was, you had a feeling, and I'll never forget, I, I don't know if it was 2000, it might have been 2006. I was watching a game, and it was a Fox game, Joe Buck and the late Tim McCarver, and Tim McCarver said something to the effect of, with Dave, regards to David Wright and Jose Reyes, said, you know, this left side of the infield, it's not a matter of when they'll win a World, it, not a matter of if they'll win a World Series, but when. And I'm telling you, in the moment I heard that, I think it was 2006. I said, "Oh boy, what if they don't win?" <laughs> Maybe that was—I was me as a Mets fan, just going like, "Wait, what if he's wrong?" And 2006, as again as disappointing as it was, you said, "Well, we got a you know, you know, young left side of the infield. Yeah, there are other parts that are older, but reason to be optimistic." And then 2007 comes along, not the same dominance, but you know, up pretty significantly on the Phillies, despite what you know Jimmy Rollins might have said at, years, at the beginning of the year, saying they were the team to beat. Um, even and again, even losing three straight to the Phillies in early September, I still was like, well, maybe they're, you know, that's just the Mets are just kind of in a little bit of a swoon in September. They'll get out of it. The Phillies were desperate; they needed to win. Um when they started losing games in Miami, they started losing games in against Washington, a terrible Nationals team. I mean that was just like what's what's you were just going, boy, what's going on? They're going to figure this out, right?" And then as you said, that first inning, I don't think I've ever been a combination of sad and angry. It oh, was that sad. was like, I was yeah, I but I was like I think I was sad get, boiling boiling with anger i was just like why is this happening and that was like you just kind of said like is this just not happening for the mets i don't want to say the window was totally closed because next year sadly they had a very similar thing happened but that was a different kind of feeling than than 2006 because you never even got a shot and i think if you get in we've seen it teams that back in the philadelphia phillies last year you have a shot if you're not in I don't have to say anymore. You'd have no shot. and they yeah, just, I, I, they
1: I, look win. I I've, for me, I never saw more crying in a clubhouse than I saw after that game. Like th- those guys were they had lived through all that pressure and all that disappointment and that collapse. and collapse is an overused term in sports, but legit, this was absolutely one. And for sure, it belongs at number two or somewhere high on this list as we have it at number two. And again, I'll say, regardless of what happens this season, not going to be more disappointing that collapse or the number one, which is the 1988 NLCS. And I would say in parentheses, the, the fall of the dynasty. And I say the dynasty in quotes, because there wasn't one. I mean, to me, I kind of put the two together. When I say, you know, what's the most disappointing thing in my lifetime as a Met when you kind of really overarch you're often going back to, especially when they did the 30 and 30 recently, how that team did not win more. And that was most representative in what happened in 1988. Thank you, Oral Hershiser. in that LCS. The Mets had won, and I may be off a number here, but I think 11 of 12 against the Dodgers during the regular season or something like that. And everybody thought, and that doesn't mean anything, but everybody they waxed this team. And here comes Oral Hershiser, and there goes all of, of the idea that this group This amazing group from 86 was ever going to do it again. Everything continued to crumble and fall apart. People personally falling apart off the field, the roster falling apart on it, and it it just never was going to be again. It wasn't going to be the dynasty. It wasn't going to be that group, Brian. It was just going to be 86, that one year, the two numbers at the end of your Twitter account. I mean, that's that's always going to be, right? To me, that's why this is a number one for the franchise, because it's not just the 1988 NLCS, but it's everything it represented about that group.
0: Yeah, and I think specifically game four uh, of that NLCS is the most disappointing loss in the franchise history. Uh, Up two games to one, Dwight Gooden was trying to pitch a complete game, uh, up by two runs, gives up the two-run homer to Mike Soja, who had about three home runs a year, um, ties the game. They eventually, Kirk Gibson's a home run in in the 12th, and they they win it by a run. Oral Hershiser comes out of the bullpen uh, to close it out. They play game five really, 12 hours later, and the Mets had, you know, not really a chance. And they lose that game. They win game six. They lose game seven. shut shutout, 6 nothing, And effectively, the dynasty was over. I mean, 89, they were not at the same team. 90, they made a run, but it was pretty much over. And I, you know, before game four, 88, and some younger Mets fans like my age or younger might laugh at this, but prior to game four, 1988, the Mets were kind of a team that would have magic. They'd figure it out in the, in the playoffs. I remember watching a replay of one of the games, the NLCS. I don't know why I was rewatching the 1988 NLCS, but someone, I mean, maybe it was Al Michaels or Tim McCarver. I don't know who made a point that the Mets had won Five postseason games or something like that they had some kind of mark where they had won a certain amount of postseason games at eighth inning or later they were behind in the eighth inning and they came back to win and it was like this it was like more than the dodgers had won in their entire history and that was like a, a mark of the mets they like would figure out a way to win these postseason games 69 73 86 of course and even in 88 they had they two of those first three games they pulled out and you Kind of thought, and maybe even the the Mets might have thought, like we'll figure out a way to, to to beat this team that we had beaten all but one time during the regular season. And game four, the Mike Sosa swing changed everything, really. And uh, that's to me is the kind of the the fulcrum of of the franchise, uh, in a sense. Um, and it was just never the same. And it's you know I it's we look back at like how postseason is structured, and you know hey they would have made the postseason more. The regulations are what the regulations are they just didn't they didn't make the postseason enough and 86 stands out and you know we look at 86 more fondly because they only won that one world series but at the same time you do have to look at that group as it is as a disappointment and 88 is really the one that stands out as far as the why it's such a disappointment
1: yeah, I, you know look I I we thought that that group and you go back it look it's sadder more for what happened off the field with a lot of those guys than mm. it is for on the field but you look back and you say well well geez what what might have been um those are things that we can't revision in history fix we can't you and I certainly we would fix the rest of the season but I do want to close this way and, and ask you and I'll give you my thoughts on it as well do you think the Mets when this season is over, will be, and I'm going to just throw some things out, and I'll tell you my answers as well. Do you think the Mets, when this season is over, will be over 500? Uh, <laughs> Isn't that a sad question? Think about how is, sad that. Qu- I mean, how sad a- is that question? Even the <laughs> question itself makes you want to cry. I thought you were going to ask whether they make the playoffs. And I was going to have. An Do answer you for think you they'll God. be over 500?
0: I mean, I'm going to say yes, but it'll be like 82 and 80. Okay. (laughs) And they'll miss the
1: playoffs. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I hedge towards saying no, because I think they're going to have to try and sell off whatever they can. And what they can is not going to be a lot. But Mm you sell off David Robertson and Adam Ottavino even, and you eat some your Scherzer money if somebody's willing to take it just to get any kind of prospect, and then you're even worse. So like you know, hang with them. I mean, you're not selling off a lot, but they don't have a lot really of room in terms of that, right? Um, I will say yes, but but I it's it's close. Okay. Do you think they're going to make the playoffs?
0: I I don't. I just don't see this. I just. You just don't. Okay, it's a combination of a, a, of a few things. I don't think they're consistent enough. I mean, we saw a six-game winning streak coupled by two, you know, losses in San Diego, which is now you know, nothing to be ashamed of. But still, it's like you know what you saw in San Diego—the last two games was more indicative of, of how it's been this year. I mean, they had a five-game winning streak and then they they really tailed off. So I haven't seen the consistency that was the mark of the 2022 team. So that's why i'm not ready to say um that they're going to make the playoffs i also i
1: don't think think so either
0: yeah and i and i i just you know six six and a half or whatever is seven i don't know what the distance is is not you know overwhelming but it's just to me the teams they have i thought well maybe they don't have to overcome as many teams i think when first when they were like they were like six teams in between them i said well they have to jump a lot of teams um but I do look at it. I'm going. Which team is going to falter? Is it going to be the Marlins? Is it going to be the Dodgers? It certainly won't be the Dodgers. Are the Diamondbacks going to fall off? I don't know which team is going to falter enough for the Mets to fall into the Mets' place. I um, I, 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 I agree. Yeah.
1: I, and I think Brian and I think I, I think they're going to need to realize as the a franchise they're further away than they thought they were, even if they yeah. don't say it publicly. And that means you got to move any money you can. Get any prospect depth you can, and then kind of try and redo it in the off season. And that is going to be an ugly look because that's going to be Robertson, Ottavin. It could be McNeil if somebody's willing to try. Could be a Marte if somebody's willing to try. I mean, you' sure if you can eat enough money and he can come out of the break pitching well, which I don't even know if that's going to be a thing. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be. It's going to be ugly. It's going to end up on this list, but I don't think it'll be number one. The good news is you all can debate at home, at work, around the road, wherever you are, and continue to follow us on Unfiltered and follow Brian as well at BrianWright86, if I remember correctly. Is that right? That's on Twitter, I think, Is that right? Yeah. Um, and get us, of course, uh, on the Unfiltered Revolution as we continue along with you. As always, Unfiltered is brought to you by our friends at Online. Thank you for listening to Believe.